0: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly.
1: It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy
0: and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media want. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement.
1: It exposes the lies and distortions of the power-brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us.
2: Good morning, everyone. Um, you are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio with um, Jacob and, and Lalitha. Lalitha. All right. Um, so... Li- um, so today we've got a, um, a pretty packed program, we have three um, interviews um, planned, um, later on today we have an interview on the West Papua um, campaign, an um, a interview on the, Ad- the state of the Adani coal mine, and then we also have a particularly interesting one which is the f- um, one that's going to be first up on the criminalisation of toll debts um, and the privatisation Right. So, um, Lali, do you have any
1: sort of headline news you want to share with us? Well, uh, Rangel Vikram was, was given a doctorate by Deakin University. It's absolutely infuriating. This guy has a history of um, killing people in in fact, participating in a genocide conducted by the, the Sri Lankan military against the town people of Sri Lanka. And Deakin University very generously has offered him a doctorate. I just can't believe it.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's completely, you know...
1: Out of left field. Nobody knew about it. It suddenly came out in the press. And it's, it's, it's Sri Lanka doesn't even admit to a, a genocide. And the, the UN is is pussyfooting around, trying to avoid the word. Uh, but it is genocide. Thousands of people have been killed in the north and northeast of Sri Lanka. And, uh, thousands of Tamils have been killed. Uh, and yet, Deacon University seems fit to give this this thug, so to speak, and a killer, a doctorate i don 't get it
2: mm. i think it, it comes down to you know it actually this links very um thoroughly with the ref- um with the whole refugee rights movement and the uh, and justice for refugees because there's this continuance issue um where the gov our government um I mean, you've many li- listeners have probably heard. Um, like several years ago, there was a situation where um, sh- um, several um, Tamil refugees who sought asylum here were to be deported back hmm. to Sri Lanka, where they could be potentially tortured and um, you know Shuled. murdered. Or
1: yeah, the white man comes to pick them up. That's a problem. And
2: um, there's this um, myth that's being thrown around. By the Australian government, that Sri Lankan is completely safe. That's so Sri Lankan re, um, refugees, Tamil refugees, don't actually, um, shouldn't arrive here by boat. They're just economic migrants, or, or so to speak. That's
1: what they claim. They claim that that peace has been re-established since 2009, when they um, demolished the LTTE, and this this battle of trying to establish. Um, that Sri Lanka is a safe place for refugees to be returned. is a political football in which a lot of town people have been caught up in. And there's one guy, Leo, who, who committed suicide by immolating himself in Geelong not long mm. ago. And they don't understand the internal dynamics and the stress suffered by people who are being deported to Sri Lanka. And this is another, you know, a pig in the... Um, Attempt to portray that Sri Lanka is a very safe place for Tamil Sukhara. There's relative peace because there is no war, but what's happening is a lot of the, the singular military and Buddhist, um, mob the two, the two different entities are being moved north. In the north, where a lot of people are Hindus and Christians and have lived there for thousands of years, quite happily, are now being invaded by... It's almost like the invasion of the West Bank by the um, Zionist regime in, in, in Israel. So what they're doing is they're moving people up there and establish, establishing houses and, and confiscating land from the Tamils. And in, in addition... Um, they're establishing police stations and most of the police only speak Sinhala and they don't speak Tamil. And then you've got the Buddhist monks are going up there. They are destroying temples and they're building Buddhist temples mm-hmm. and, they, and trying to convert people to Buddhism. And the biggest problem with all this is none of these people go up there who speak, they speak Tamil. So the people in the north who only speak Tamil are unable to access the legal systems, any government services or any sort of support Through the system because there's a huge language barrier. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like the invasion of the West Bank and the extremes of how uh, a dominant nation, for political reasons, is um, being supported by countries like Australia to, you know, to to dominate the local minorities um, and also, in many cases, torture, kill, maim, um, and rape the local uh, communities, and lots of Tamils have suffered in the hands yeah. of the the military the, that go up north. It's no, no different from Israel, except Israel and Palestine is, is the extreme end of this whole thing. But in Sri Lanka, the genocide still has not been recognised, and that's the biggest issue for the Tamils of Sri Lanka. Yep. And there was a small protest was held yesterday. Um, yeah, at the Federation
2: up. Square because um, the Deacon Edge, Deacon owned a particular part of Federation Square where they do a lot of their presentations and um, what was held there was um, the giving of the doctorate to um, the Sri Lankan... um, In his absence, uh, yes? In his absence, yep. He wasn't there.
1: Something has to be done because a similar thing happened at the VU where you have the Q Society holding a meeting. At the Victoria University, and there was a lot of protest yep. among academics. And this one is a secret. What's wrong with these universities? Why are they doing this
2: stuff? Well, the the VU thing was pretty funny because um, basically um, last week we we advertised the counter protests against the Q Society. Um, basically, what happened was um, the Q Society organised this fundraiser to spread, you know, their hateful kind of anti, sort of Muslim, Islamophobic, you know, homophobic, sexist mm, kind mm. of propaganda. Um, and to raise legal fees around this defam- defamation suit, um, you know, for, against, um, Muslims. And, um, basically the, f- um, the people who were going to this fundraiser had no idea it was actually at VU. They were instructed to go all the way to St Kilda for some reason. And then they got on a bus that would then take them to VU.
1: Very surreptitious. Um. <laughs>
2: But the good news is um in response to a letter which has also made the local press um which is the local press of um in the west that goes into my mailbox because I live in Footscray, um in response to a letter the um the the vice chancellor has made a personal apology um and v who has as a result, made an official statement that they will be reviewing their booking procedures to ensure that this does not happen again. I
1: believe the fees paid by the Q Society is being offered to a charity.
2: Mm. That is um, still up in the air. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but we can hope wishfully that 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 is the case.
1: I mean, Deakin and and VU have, um, you know, very successfully defamed themselves and now they appear to be a very biased educational institution. At least VU has, does, does some, has done some uh, repair, but Deakin has a long way to go. Imagine yeah. supporting a genocidal regime, a representative of a genocidal regime. What is the need for it? Who called for it? What's the purpose of it?
2: Um, on, on the topic of that, um, I just want to, I forgot to do this before the start of the program. I'd like to acknowledge that um, Green Left Radio is being broadcast to you um, in free city from Frecy Astures and Smith Street, Collingwood, um, which is built on um, the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Wurundjeri people. Wondry of the Kulin Nation. Um, sovereignty was never ceded, and as with many other First Nations across the continent, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, as, as you're doing a little bit of announcement about the program, I'd like to add that um, this program is uh, streaming live on the web, of course, and it's also available on podcast soon after um, 24 hours, so we've put it up, and it's uh, available on, uh, on your AM, 855 on your AM dial, sorry. And we need to move on to other news, Jacob. Yep.
2: Um, just a quick kind of news story before I move on to an announcement um and and our first interview for the program um this just came out um just yesterday in in the age, but there is a potential possibility um those who know about the area kind of east of here um, the electorate is called Batman, um, which is named after. Um, the founder of, Rick, um, Victoria's Capital, John Batman. Um, but there's a strong possibility he, but he has, he's known, quite well known in his history as being a genocidal maniac. Mm. Um, he's kill, who killed, you know, many Aboriginal people in response and essentially was, you know, bounty, you know, Killed Aboriginal people in Tasmania for bounty, um, so the, his legacy is being very qu- questioned, and he has he has his name claimed to a lot of places in yes, Melbourne.
1: even the electorate I live in.
2: Um, yes, yeah, so there's even there's. The electorate Batman, and then there's also Batman station and there's Batman Punk. park yeah. um but anyway there's um possibility in light of you know some lobbying by the Aboriginal community um that they, the the um, the name could be stripped from the electorate um and ho- and hopefully renamed someone who you know renamed. Aboriginal
1: sort of we don
2: 't have an uh, electorate with an Aboriginal name, do we yep. um, well, it 's all colonial because oh you know this country we do live in a colonized country, so obviously all the names will reflect our colonial history, uh, especially for places for cities um, of course, and an interesting fact is that um, the city of Melbourne um, was at one point almost going to be called Batman, was almost going to be named after John Batman, so we could have been in in the city of Batman, or, yeah, named after a genocidal <sighs> maniac. All right, so I'm, and in other news stories, um, I just want to sort of promote this, um, but there is, from following on from the the new council laws by the Melbourne City Council in attempts to criminalise homelessness, um, there will be, the campaign is, you know, developing, um, it's... I've um, got a hashtag no homeless ban. Um, and people are getting organized for an act, an action that's going to be happening tomorrow night. Um, there's going to be a planned sleep out slash speak out during, um, white night, which is one of the sort of very sort of big all night, um, arts festival in Melbourne. Um, so there's plans for, um, that action, um, to, um, to take place at 8pm at the State Library. Um We will be announcing it again in the activist calendar, but i 'll just um note that down. Um, because it is a very important campaign, um, to support and to express our solidarity with. FreeCR is currently in a subscriber drive from the 13th to the 19th. Um, and we would really, and, um, for all listeners who enjoy listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, we would really appreciate the support, um, if you, if you are able to afford, um, to get a subscription of FreeCR and to not, um, make, um, Green Left Weekly Radio your pro- main program. Um, subscription rates are $70 wage, $35 um of concession and $130 solidarity and you can go on to the free CR website to get a subscription or call 94198377. Um, to give some quick um, news stories in brief um, from Green Left Weekly Radio, um, Green Left Weekly, um, it, This is an article from SCA. Um, The SCA Sydney University College of the Arts has been, you know, the result um, has been the subject of a a campaign um, to prevent its um, prevent its shutdown. Um, Now it's been reported that Sydney University has said it will not shut down um, the Sydney College of the Arts at Cullen Park. For at least um, two years, and students will continue to study at the historic Kirkbr- Kirkbride campus until the end of 2018. The university's latest proposal is to move the art school to the old Teachers College on the Camperdown campus by early 2019. No, no students were accepted for the Bachelor of Visual Arts this year. The NTEU is concerned that not taking its new students could affect the vi- financial viability of the art school and its reputation.
1: We're going to the interview with um, Damien Stock, who is um, from the Victorian Legal Aid. And the Victorian Legal Aid has um, recently put out a media release about um, the criminalization of toll debts. So let's welcome Damien Stock, who's happy to talk about this particular issue. Good morning, Damien.
3: Good morning, Lalitha. Thank you for uh, making time to talk about this issue today.
1: Thank you for um, being available to 3CR to discuss this. Uh, it's an important issue and it affects a lot of people. Um, you have said that um, the, this criminalisation process has begun in, in uh, Victoria. How long has it been in place? Uh,
3: so the original contracts were entered into with Transurban in 1995 by the Kennett government uh, initially to build... The tunnels and uh, the, the the freeway that ran up near the uh, ran up to the airport. So the contracts were uh, a part of legislation, the Melbourne City Link Act. Um, and since then, we've just seen the toll roads grow throughout Melbourne and Victoria.
1: Mm. And this this specific com, criminal of, com, act of criminalising the debt, that process was part of the contract, or was it a separate thing?
3: No, it's part of the contract. So in return for the investment that Transurban provided, the state promised to be the enforcer, essentially, of their private profits by guaranteeing compliance with use of the toll roads by making it an infringible offence. So uh, an offence that would attract the criminal justice machinery to enforce non-compliance. So mm. it was a, 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 a distinct policy decision that... Unlike areas, uh, other areas of private contracts, like your mobile phone bill or your utilities, your gas, electricity, if you don't pay those bills, then obviously they can be enforced by debt collectors using civil recovery means, uh, but it's not a criminal offence to not pay your phone bill. But they made a deliberate choice to make it a criminal offence to not pay this private road toll.
1: And this is because it was a purely... Um like a favour done to these toll companies by the Kent government from the time the the contracts were signed, you're saying?
3: Well, it was a commercial negotiation between the state and Transurban, and what Transurban uh, elicited for the billions they were putting in in investment was a return that the state would uh, enforce compliance in this way. And I think initially it was meant as a deterrent. I think they thought that most people would comply because they didn't want to receive an expensive infringement notice. But what we're seeing uh, is that it's not having that deterrent impact. Not everybody is able to pay for their tolls for a number of reasons. Some people uh, have to choose between uh, the bills that they pay. Uh, and given that there's no immediate consequence of failing to pay or keep your ETAG uh, topped up, some people, through economic reasons, are forced to drive on these roads. I mean, they're an essential service. And we're seeing them impact our communities more so who have fewer transport alternatives. Mm. Uh Yes, so um, originally I think it was meant as a deterrent value, but what we know was last year five point three million infringements were issued in Victoria. And of those that went to enforcement, so of those that people did nothing about, there was one point seven million that went all the way to infringement warrants. And half of those one point seven million infringement warrants related to use of private toll roads. So a unlike pull, being isn't a deterrent it? value. Yeah, yeah, it's just well, it's just, you know, it's it's clogging up our uh, our courts, uh, our legal assistance sector. So, legal aid. Uh, we we saw about, or we spoke to about, I think it was around 160,000 people on our advice line last year. And infringements, people seeking advice in relation to infringements, was the third highest call. So, higher than summary criminal matters, higher than being evicted, higher than sentencing problems. So. It's not a deterrent. It's having a real impact on a huge number of Victorians.
1: Mm. It seems like the state's doing a a huge favour to a private company at taxpayer's expense, isn't it?
3: That's one way of looking at it. And the problem is we don't know at what expense. We've asked the government to provide us with details as to how much it costs to enforce this system in the money they pay to the legal assistance sector, the sheriffs and the courts to deal with uh, enforcement of these toll roads, and they said they don't know. They said that they can't calculate it hmm. because infringements, infringements for toll roads, uh, are looked at separately as infringements for parking fines or speeding fines or things that relate to public safety. So they've been unable to give us an answer as to how much they're spending
1: to enforce this system. That's just it's, it's just getting worse. This whole situation because this burden is. Uh... I assume generally born by if it's born by the community youth service, then it would be the low socio economic um, Uh, part of the community and it's another burden they have to bear on the top of all the other social problems they're having and we already have problems with courts trying to address um, even domestic violence issues their delays there's so many other issues that are delaying the courts and yet they prioritise something like this which is a huge free service to a private company or, or multiple private companies It's it's just Appalling to listen to, to you talk about this and, you know, the legal service doesn't, shouldn't have to, to be involved. Obviously, you guys are defending um, people who are affected by this um, fine, which means your time is being taken up as well, isn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm uh, a lawyer with some experience and can assist in a range of matters. I'd rather not have uh, my time and the, 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 t- the, t- uh, the time from my team taken up with assisting uh, these infringements matters. So just in terms of the impact on courts, there was an investigation by the Sentencing Advisory Council in 2014 looking into court-imposed fines and infringement fines and it said that, it recommended that there be a separate working group within government to look at the exponential increase that tolling fines are having on court time. It said that there needed to be a working group to look at how to remove those from the courts. And then we had the Royal Commission into Family Violence recommendations early last year that also said that we need to get non-priority matters out of the magistrates court and named infringement specifically and said they're taking up too much time and valuable resources of magistrates courts and they need to be removed. But we're not seeing any action on that front. And the reason we're currently talking about it is that they're, as part of the uh, the Western distributor proposal by Transurban, so it's proposing to build a new tunnel around Yarraville and Footscray, mm. it's asking for a 10-year extension of the current tolls. So these the current toll roads are due to expire in around, I think it's 2022 20, or thereabouts. That's right, yes. Um, and they're asking for a 10-year extension on that. And uh, what we're seeking to do is highlight the current impulse that's placing on ordinary people, particularly those, as you point out, from low socioeconomic backgrounds, out of suburban communities who are forced to take these roads. I mean, they're an essential service. It's difficult to choose to avoid them. Mm. Uh, and we, we wanted to highlight the the, the the, um, the, the problems that's causing those communities who are not typical legal aid clients either. These are you know, ordinary people that are just caught up by having to use these roads.
1: Mm. And I also am aware that the Western Toll Roads you just mentioned, they've already been paid off and the next 10 years agreement will be pure profit for them, which is, uh, I, I just can't think of a word to describe it. It's so abominable. But the worst part is, in this whole in this whole issue if people actually are thrown into jail if they are unable to pay is that right
3: that's exactly right so if you do absolutely nothing uh, after receiving an infringement for use of a private toll road it will go through a number of steps you'll have reminder notices and then an enforcement order but eventually it will become an infringement warrant and your initial use of the road which would have cost between two dollars twenty and around eight dollars depending on the length of the road is now a $345 debt. That's oh. what an infringement warrant costs. If you're unable to pay that $345 for that one use of the toll road, and we see clients with, obviously, tens of thousands of debt because they've used the toll roads multiple times before recognising there's a problem. If you're unable to pay that debt, a sheriff will uh, execute the infringement warrant by either seizing any property they can seize and sell it. So we regularly have people whose uh, only vehicles being clamped and sold or furniture's being taken if it's of a certain value. Uh, once that, um, once those assets have been solved, if that doesn't uh, recover the amount of the debt, then you'll be arrested and bailed to go before a magistrate, a criminal magistrate. So interspersed with uh, real criminal matters, a magistrate will be hearing the enforcement of this, infringement warrant. And typically they'll put people on a payment plan uh, with what's called an imprisonment in lieu order, which means if you breach one payment just once by one day, then uh, there's an arrest warrant issued. Go back before a magistrate, and if you don't have reasonable grounds, you go straight to jail. Oh. So we have many clients who uh, are in prison currently uh, for uh, for non-payment of use of a private toll road, uh, which goodness. is just absurd. And in, in mid in the mid 90s, in New South Wales, someone was in jail um, for only four days as a result of non-payment of a fine, and they were killed. <sighs> New South Wales conducted an investigation and said, absolutely, can we? Uh, we must not have anyone going to prison any longer for non-payment of fines. Uh, And so they don't in New South Wales. Mm. Um, Yet we still lock people up regularly here. And we've, again, asked how many people are locked up currently for non-payment of fines, and the answer is that they don't know.
1: Mm. And yet they're building new prisons, which is a great um, expense by a you know taxpayer organisation. Anyway, thank you very oh, much, Damien, a really important issue. And uh, one last thing is, do you know of any community groups that are, are, are planning to conduct a campaign against the sort of um, behaviour by the government?
3: Uh, well, we'd love to see a broader coalition of uh, support for change in relation to this issue. We've been working with the legal Uh, with our uh, colleagues in community legal centres to try and raise awareness of this, but so far it's been driven by uh, legal advocacy or legal organisations trying to advocate for this issue. So we'll certainly be looking at broadening that campaign and getting as many people interested in this important issue to raise it with government, highlight the current impacts uh, so that it might affect the current negotiations around extending toll roads.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: So um, we'll we'll continue to do more... um, Social media and uh, other media on this, and uh, certainly if other groups are, are wanting to support us, that would be fantastic.
1: Mm. If they want to contact you, do you have a number, or they just look up, look it up on the web?
3: Uh, that's a very good question. I, will, um, uh, I don't think I can give out my direct number at Legal Aid. No, 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 no don't. Have, uh, camp- campaigns co- coordinating this through. So I would say get in touch with Legal Aid, yep. uh, and we will uh, and we'll see uh, how we can organize this going forward.
1: That, that's great. Thank you so much, Damien, for being available so early in the morning um, to inform our listeners about this very important issue.
3: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Thank with you. Her. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. This is, this is just amazingly um, disturbing to think that a government is using our tax money to collect debts for a private organisation. I just can't believe they do, they're doing this and, and, and there's so little information about this I think.
2: Yeah, it goes in kind of line with the whole Centrelink um, thing that is happening with you know, just some more examples of kind of this type of injustice
1: it's an attack on the on the people who are the poorest in the community. And they're building new jails so they can put more of these people who really it's just, just not it's not a crime not to not to be able to afford to pay the toll.
2: Well on the topic of um jails is um you know, this one of this kind of links um with the new western <laughs> probably a, quite coincidental because um, of the new toll road that they're trying to build in around the Yarraville area there's a, um, a proposal um, to build a new prison in where in the suburb of Werribee. Um, and there has actually mm. been quite a, no, a big protest against it which is good um we'll have to um, explore that in more detail in a later program and see you know what's actually happening there because that's the only information I have is there has been a protest and they are building um, a prison
1: yes I saw um a news item on that somewhere, actually, because there was a group that I was actually holding placards and they were um, campaigning against a, a prison in Maribyrn. I haven't got it here. Yep. Maybe it was in last week's um, uh, Green Left Weekly. I was going to say direct action. Um, so this is this is just an, another attack. On the top of all the other attacks that people are suffering, the the, the Commonwealth um, Centrelink debt, and you also have um, pension cutbacks, cutbacks on Newstart allowance and all the other attacks, and then you have then pay out more in fines. It's just unbelievable. This is getting worse. On
2: terms of the attacks on Newstart, this is one news story I forgot to um, sort of relate last week, but there is a sort of proposal that... um, the Turnbull government is trying to strip um new start payments from from those who are under twenty five. Twenty five, that's right. Um but are they calling j- it something else, aren't they? Uh not exactly. Basically what what is happening is um if you are unemployed and looking for work, um, you get put on either you get put on New Start if you're you're not currently studying and just looking for work. Um, but if you are studying, you get put on Youth Allowance. Um, except, yep. So basically, anyone under 25 is forced to go on Youth Allowance, but the requirements are still the same. So basically, you have to be studying, like you just you have to be doing a course um, to get. What about if they're
1: looking for a job?
2: No, they're basically forced to start. They're basically forced if they're unemployed. If you're a young person under 25, you have to be studying in some capacity, whether it's like a part-time course or a full-time course to receive, um, youth allowance.
1: Really? So um, if, if you're only looking for a job, you're not, you're not entitled to receive any payments.
2: Well, this, this, this is, propo- remember, this is a proposed change. Oh, not, it is not, not it hasn't been <coughs> legislated yet. Um, it is obviously going to go to a vote in the parliament and optimistically, I don't think it's likely to get passed at this point, basically because both Labor and the Greens are heavily opposed to it. It's ridiculous. So it's unlikely that it could pass. And probably one of the... Going back from two years ago, a lot of the more stringent measures um, and cuts never got passed through the Parliament, which mm. is a... And so the same could happen for this. Um, that's just my optimistic thinking based on history. Um, going into news from Green Left Weekly... Um, we have an article here written by Chris Jenkins um, from WA, and this um, pertains to the state elections. Um, Western Australia is currently going through um, state election campaigning yes, right, right now. Yep. Um, and so... The, what has been happening, interesting enough, in terms of the major parties is, um, Chris Jenkins writes here that, you know, a deal w- um, was announced last week that will see the Liberals and One Nation preference each other ahead of the Nationals in what is expected to be a highly contested state election march. Um, the implications of this deal is it, has, um, it could potentially give One Nation the balance of power in State Parliament and re- represents further inroads by the far-right party into electoral politics. It also demonstrates the vulnerability of the Liberal Party, who have been in power for the past eight years, and the growing schism between them and their traditional running mates in the National Party. Um, the um the WA liberal government is staring at a significant defeat um coming up this March 11th I mean Detroit... deteriorating um, economic economic (laughs) forecasts (laughs) and community oppositions um, to plans to privatise Western power and the Fremantle Port and the ongoing debacle of the Perth Freight Link Freeway project. Clearly, the Liberal Party's game makers are worried their declining supporter base will not by itself get them over the line. That's what Chris Jenkins writes. Um, And, of course, then there's also um, um, other uh, historians you know, context here is that you know the Liberals and Nationals have kind of been at odds with each other. Um, Their most controversial dispute was over National leader Brendan Giles' proposal to remain the uh, mining sector royalty levy to five dollar a ton. Realistically, this me um, in um, commenting on this measure amounts cents in the dollar for the mining giants, but it differentiates the Nationals from both friends and rivals. Just weeks from election, the Liberals and corporate media were quick to chastise Greens, exacerbating a feud which has only deteriorated further. Ultimately, the question that the nationals need to answer is whether they want to represent the small pharma types in the bush or or like the Liberals' side with the big mining and agribusiness business interests. If they choose the latter, they risk becoming politically insignificant and will lose out to One Nation, whereas choosing the former pits them firmly against their coalition partner. Um, With divisions becoming more pronounced within the coalition, One Nation is planning to contest 60 seats across WA and recent poll all suggest they could garner thirteen percent of the primary vote um so you know what, one of the reasons that chris Jenkins writes that you know they're building themselves up is you know they claim to be um to be standing up for the hard done um australian batter um as an anti established alternative to the liberals but of course. As he writes here, since been elected, they have consistently voted with the Liberal Party um, to attack workers' rights and inflict welfare cuts on the most vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, that's basically, yeah, that's sort of the details of the preference deal between, you know, um, that's going to happen. The
1: Nationals and the uh, One Nation Party.
2: Yeah. So, and there's also another sort of small little detail, I think, uh, this is... Written, not related to this article, but in relation to another one, um, where there are, where there are, there is not just one nation, but a lot of minor parties are trying to do a lot of sort of preference swapping and deals just to ensure that they get um, one seat in the parliament for this, um, well, not the parliament, the state parliament in this um, upcoming state election. So um, for WA, so it should we should be in for some interesting times. I think one of the most interesting, just my own personal opinion. I think what what will be interesting coming out of the w a state election is the possibility well it seems very likely that labor will win again um and essentially what that will means is you know in light of the defeats that they faced in northern territory victoria um we'll have a majority state government that is um we, of most of the majority of state governments in australia will be um by will be, you know, in power by with Labour governments. Um though the only ones that currently is not is at this point is New South Wales where the last state election saw the Labour yeah, South in Australia's Labour government. Yeah,
1: South
2: Australia's Labour government. That's what I mean, yep. It's going to be a majority New South Wales is the Liberal government. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So that's um the only exception there. All right. Um you are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um with Jacob and Lalita on the line. Lalita, thank you. Lalita, <laughs> is that it? No, I've
1: got it. <laughs> Alright, so um, I was just gonna say before you go on to the news you identified. I think that's um it's it's um, worth looking at this article, uh, which is the center spread of this week's uh, Green Left Weekly. It's about uh, the system, the capitalist system that causes global inequality. I think the slogan people uh, people just sloganise this quite a lot, but I think it's, it's worth looking at the details and it's a very good analysis about the shifting of wealth from the poor to the rich and how long it's been happening for and describing it as um, part of the, well, the major plank of the neoliberal policy. And this, the figures are just staggering, actually. Um, and in the IMF and the World um, Economic Forum and so on, how involved they are in uh, setting out, it's, it's like a, a global plan and it's been happening for several decades now. And some of the figures, as I said, are, are absolutely disgraceful. So, for example, in 1960, the difference of incomes between the wel- wealthiest 20% of the world's population living in the developed countries and those um, Living in and those of the poorest 20% living in the third world was 30 to one. By 1997, the ratio was 74 to one. So you can see the 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 shifting of wealth from the poorer nations to the richer nations at a massive rate. And today, the Oxfam report titled "An Economy for the 99%" based on the data collected by Credit Suisse and others, just eight men—not the word men—own. The same wealth as the poorest half of the world, and the figure has dropped in a year from 68, and shows that under capitalism, wealth has been concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. The Occupy movement started uh, a protest against Wall Street, but it it just you know completely ballooned out to across the world, and we are the 99% slogan became part of the last you know. Uh, 10 years or so has been an amazing slogan. And some people at that time thought it was an exaggeration to talk about. But the reality is, um, even in Australia, the top 1% have more than 22% of the total Australian wealth and own more wealth than 70% of Australians combined. The poorest 50% of Australians have only 6% of the national wealth. So if you look at the um, shift It's been happening, it happened more rapidly after the 80s, after the uh, prices and economic, uh, um, prices and incomes accord, which was cemented into the system by Mr. Bob Hawke and Mr. Paul Keating. So the 1% includes the two richest billionaires in Australia, uh, namely Gina Reinhardt and Blair Perry Ockerton. Between them, they have more than 16 US, 16 billion dollars, which is more than enough to get Australia out of its debts. It would be in surplus, not in um, deficit. So the um, the combined wealth of the poorest, 20% of Australians, um, hang on, uh, and 60 billion, that 60 billion, which is more than the combined wealth of the poorest, 20% of Australians. So far from lifting people out of poverty, the politicians the policies imposed by our politicians on the poorer countries by international financial institutions such as the world bank and the imf and the um, european central bank have led to privatization of public services and cuts to health education and welfare throwing millions into po- throwing millions into poverty and we, as we talked about before the policies such as this, this the privatization of the of the um, uh, total debt The decrease in youth youth, um, allowances, the debacle of the Centrelink payments, and so on—it's absolutely increasing the misery of the people who are also suffering unemployment. For example, in Broadmeadows, the unemployment rate is 24 percent, and yet, according to the the official figures, it's around between five and six percent. You see, fluctuates every so often, but they never include a lot of the finer and details of. The unemployed. If you, I think, if you work for one hour or so, you're considered to be employed. So they they are fudged figures. And in the meantime, there's a quarter of the population, broadminers, running around, especially young people, with no job. And you wonder why they get get up to mischief. You you, you know, it's just ridiculous the way people are treated. But this article is really, really good. Um, So it says, a footy, for example, the CEO earns as much in a year as 10,000 people. Working in the garment factories in Bangladesh. Yeah, it's just staggering figures. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine and and, and and absorb these figures and even compare it. Like yeah. What what do people do with that money? I mean, I think well, if I had that much money, what will I do? You know, what can you do with it? Yeah. You know, just well,
2: you think? You can, there's a there's a limit to what <laughs> <laughs> um, basically it, where <laughs> the you know capitalists and economists and so on um, justify you know this need to accumulate wealth. You know, to a sense, to, um, they need the wealth to invest to create, you know, new jobs, except, you know, when you look at the, the state of, you know, private, you know, privatization and private companies, you know, they gain, they have, they accumulate all these massive profits, yet none of that is getting, getting invested into, you know, you know, right of government infrastructure or creating meaningful work for people. Mm.
1: The system's really bad because capitalism, unless it expands, it will die. That's a problem. Yes. And wealth is only created by workers. The, if there are no workers, wealth cannot be created. And it's Marx, uh, Marx issue, yep. Marxist issue. You know. uh, but anyway, i have going to get the next interview ready. Yep. So we've got another do interview another one.
2: coming up. Um, I'll just give this a quick um, brief news story.
1: Yep. And this interview will be about West Papua.
2: Yep. All so so brief news story from Green Left Weekly. Um, Parliament has, this is um, regarding refugee bills in Parliament. Um, Parliament has resumed sitting and immigration bills are on the agenda. Immigration Minister Peter Dunton is proposing a new bill which would give him executive powers to cancel anyone's visa under any circumstances or for any reason, such as someone's country of origin or religion. Comparisons have been drawn to Trump's Muslim ban. The other bill is the refugee visa ban, which was held over from last year. It is unknown when debate on the bill was res- resumed in the Senate um so we we'll have to stay tuned about that um that news um that brief um news story and um they'll imagine there will be lots of action and protests in happening in response to it. um I'm just going to play a quick kind of mic um announcement.
0: You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues.
2: Okay, hey, we're still preparing to get an interview on, um, um, but I'll give, um, talk about another, some more news, um, from the Green Left Weekly. Um, this is another brief news story on asbestos, um, that it, that it is apparently slipping past Australian, cust, Australian custom officials. Um, the CFMEU, um, told a Senate inquiry that building materials containing asbestos form, 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 and sheet glass that explodes are being imported and used in Australian building sites. Assistant Secret- National Secretary of the CFMEU Construction Division Brad Parker said the Australian Border, pro- border Force was seriously under-resourced resourced to intercept the arrival of dangerous building project- products. CFMEU officials found installation products containing asbestos on construction sites in Brisbane and Perth last year. Alright, so um, just a quick kind of news another um, news story from Greenleaf Weekly comes from uh, the international section um, essentially talking about many listeners some listeners um, might have remembered um, that there was um huge mass protests um, held last year in South Korea um basically you know adding you know having up to 10 million people um, call, um calling on the president um, the president Park jin hye to resign um the december this, uh, in this per- article, um, they write, the December, um, 31st rally was followed by two separate marches, one to the presidential blue house, the other to the constitutional court, a reminder that whether he- villain or hero, the judges too were actors in the candlelight, this candlelight story, yet the protagonists resided not in the whores' power, but in the streets holding candles. Um, and, you know, um, earlier, you know, but, in response to these protests, you know, an impeachment motion had been passed in the National Assembly by an overwhelming vote, you know, stripping the, the President of her power. Um, one of the, uh, one of the guests, the kind of amazing things about these candlelight protests and these mass protests is, you know, it's transforming, you know, Korean democracy and its people. Um, it, it was these protests that, you know, pushed politicians past the safeguards and the status quo towards impeachment. The candlelight protests began, you know, with de- de- demands with, for Park's voluntary resignation. Um, in, one of the reasons for this was because of evidence of abuse of power, leaked state secrets, and bribery mounted against her. Um But it then sort of like, despite you know the mass pro- you know the mass protests, it it there weren't there were not enough you know for her to simply step down of her own free will. Um The sh- um the chance for a resignation then changed to impeachment and incarceration. However, you know, of course, as her usual elected um, representatives lagged behind. Public, girl. in fact, faced with the tremendous task before them, um, opposition parties grew timid and wavered. As it, it came clear that Park would not step down, no matter the political costs or the size of the candlelight protests, um, you know, these calls for resignation, turned into impeachment, as public outrage wheeled, opposition parties, you know, start to begin to jump on this bandwagon. Faced um, yet before. The impeachment motion was to be introduced. Pa- Park publicly raised the prospect of, vol- of a voluntary resignation by April. The anti-Park um, faction of the ruling party backed this option. Faced with the prospect of insufficient votes without the uh, um, anti-Park faction support for approval of the impeachment, the opposition wavered. The people mobilized. They blissed the phones of individual members of the ruling Sanuri power and protested against outside their office the opposition was dragged back into the impeachment struggle. Um, The um, anti-Park faction also once again spoke for impeachment. Even the pro-Park faction made the crucial decision to allow members to vote at will. Thus, on December 9, 234, Assembly members voted for impeachment, far exceeding the needed 200, including many from the pro-Park faction. I guess, you know, the... Um with the president stripped of her powers, the special prosecution no longer faced the daunting task of investigating a president with full powers. Um to talk a bit more about, you know, the dynamic and character of these sort of protests um that were um calling on her for her impeachment, um the impeachment of the Prime um of the Prime Minister or, or President. They have a republic in South Korea. Um it, you know, to anyone, you know, witnessing the author rights, um, the candlelight protests firsthand, it is clear that it's not just about impeaching Park, but also about transforming Korean democracy and people. People came out in the millions to sit on the pavement in sub-zero temperature. They came out with their unions and groups. Many simply came out with their families and friends. Students came out wearing their school uniforms, stirring the imagination about collective education through democratic action for the next generation. Um, the huge protests were organised by the People's Emergency Action to bring down President Park, a coalition of thousand five hundred groups. An Jin Ghul, a standing member of the operations committee, explains that the protests shan't come from the grassroots up through their network of um fifty thousand groups. Being at the uh, protests, it is clear that the, they are different in character from previous ones. The chants are militant, but the songs played are not the same militant songs usually heard in protests. Rather, they are rock concerts, concerts from reggae rock to ballads. They not only entertain, but they also move and touch. The constitutional now the constitutional court announced it will deliver a verdict before March 13th. All signs point to impeachment, which means that a presidential election would be held by May. Yet a new president is not enough. We can't just demand a change in government, but we must call for deep fundamental reforms, said Kim Jong-un, chair um, of the sole branch of the Justice Party. How far this counter-light revolution goes will be determined by its protagonists. Okay, okay um, we're back on Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, Lalita has an article to share from the latest Green Left Weekly.
1: No, it's, it's, a, it's not an article, but it's, it's a special feature we have created in Green Left Weekly, which helps keep tab on what's happening with this um, assault, basically, by Trump uh, on the world population, never mind the U.S., um, firstly, I, I just want to say that the women in the US have become very animated and very angry and as most people know, they led some of the marches on uh, during the inauguration of, of Donald Trump and that march is now all flowing into the upcoming International Women's Day um, mobilizations that will be occurring uh, across the world. And of course, there's something happening in Melbourne as well, but... Um, Looking at the Trump issue, they are planning a massive march. Uh, they're, called, they're calling for militant international strike on International Women's Day on the 8th of March. And it's really interesting. There's a massive women's march on the 21st of May may mark the start of a new wave of militant feminist struggle. So that's an interesting one. So Trump who's known for his misogyny, um, seems to have triggered a lot of anger amongst the progressive people and the women in um, the U.S. So that's one issue that's triggering and, and is festering and so on, and I'm sure it'll come to a peak on the 8th of March. The other thing, there's a whole section on this. We, we have a weekly Trump Watch section dedicated to the <laughs> shenanigans that goes on in the U.S. I mean, it, it's funny if, if it wasn't so serious. So the New York students walk out to, to protest Trump. Um, so hundreds of New York stu- public school students walked out of class on the 7th to protest the policies of Trump. Democracy Now! said it the next day. The protest came on the same day the Senate confirmed billionaire Betsy divorce, um, or divorce on um a strong, he's a strong supporter of privatization, of public education, um, and he's become Secretary, Education Secretary. It, ca- it came from a historic tie-breaking vote for his vice president, Mike Pence. Um, so, Heb Jamal, a 17-year-old student, told the protesters about their decision to walk out of these classrooms, and he said, for many of us, this comes as at a considerable risk. We have done this today because we realize that these are not normal times. We cannot go to school, to class or to exams as, as if things were normal. We don't want to just yell at the streets and, at the street and, you know, have people say that, oh, we just wanted to leave school. And that is, that was that. We want to show people that actually we are students who demand justice and we are going to fight and pressure those in power at every um, single level to get that so that's one trump watch the other one is how 20 rabbis arrested um, they they were uh, they're protesting against the muslim bans as we know he trump placed a, a ban on seven um, predominantly Muslim countries and that is another news that has been uh, that has had reverberations across the world and there were 200 Jewish New Yorkers marched on the Trump International Hotel and Tower to protest Trump's immigration ban and got arrested so 20 of the rabbis chose to be arrested uh, peacefully uh, blocking the streets in what they said was a symbolic action. We remember we, they, they have said that they remember the history and remember the, the borders of this country close to us in 1924 with very catastrophic consequences during the Holocaust. The next one is uh, Trump replaces Obama as climate villain on landmark youth suit. Youth plaintiffs who are suing the federal government for failing um, to act on climate change have a new villain in their uh, um, crosshairs: U.S. President Donald Trump. Now, the 22 plaintiffs in uh, Juliana versus the United States filed a notice in federal court on the 9th of February, and we know they had the um, they, they had a climate collective um, conference here recently, didn't they, Jacob? The young people. Um, they had a was it um, Climate Collective, Sustainable Collective? They had a that the young man who was um, 16 on uh, Q and A, and he spoke really well about um, the impact climate change is going to have mm. on the next generation. And this is this, he's part of this group of plaintiffs. And the original complaint alleges that the government locked in a fossil fuel-based national energy system for more than five decades, with full knowledge, acknowledgement of the extreme dangers in it posed. Now explains our Children's Trust, the non-profit supporting the legal action. The plaintiffs have further um, embody, emboldened by the Trump's a blatant climate denial, in, inspiring them in their fight to secure climate justice and a safe future. And the last one is protests erupts in Arizona, and residents targeted by order. So. Uh, Guadalupe Garcia, a de uh, de- decades-long resident of Phoenix, Arizona and mother of two, was arrested and hauled away in a deportation ban on the 8th of Feb um, in one of the first deportations of an undocumented immigrant with no bailing record to occur under Trump's administration. And the next day, the are suddenly arrested, provoked outrage from local community members and rights advocates. So protests are continuing to support this family, uh, which is just appalling what's happening. But it's so if, if you want to keep a close watch on um, what's happening in the U.S. and the Trump stuff and a lot of details that the main media may um, not release um, or choose not to air. <clears throat> or televised, uh, you'll get it in, in Green Left Weekly because we're you a very close watch because anything that happens in the U.S. has international implications and especially with Australia which follows the U.S. like a lab dog seems to you know, only provide news that they choose to want to yep. instead of having all news available to people so they can make up their own mind. But again, apologies for that interview we didn't have on West Papua. That they've had good news, and we'll try to catch up with them maybe uh, next Friday or the one after. Yep. So um, moving on to the next news,
2: we've got um, we're hit um, 8 a.m. So that usually is the time for the activist calendar, calendar. Yep. Um, the time to you know find out about what we can, what you can get involved in, and you know how you can take action. Um, so um, just this Friday, just to make a quick plug for um, from four is 6pm. If you come around the Flinders Street station, you'll be able to pick um, the latest Green Left Weekly from um, from a Green Left Weekly store that will distribute the paper. Um, this Saturday, um, there'll be Two rallies happening, actually, actually. I
1: know, very busy.
2: Um, so there'll be a rally, uh, no to Trump, no to Turnbull, let the refugees in, um, against the Muslim ban, no war, no close the cans, bring them here. Um, that is, this is organised by Refugee Action Collective and it's happening at 2pm at the State Library. Six hours later, also at the State Library, um, during White Night, um, in response to the criminalisation of homelessness, um, there will be a speak out and protest and camp out from 8pm at the State Library, and that will be going on all night, um, hopefully, um, and will, and, um, hopefully get, attract hundreds of people and become like a spontaneous kind of community kind of occupation, and um, that will go on until the end of White Night, and since, you know, it will be happening during White Night where the city will be filled with people, it will hopefully receive uh, lots of attention. Mm. Um, on Sunday, there'll be a rally. Melbourne says no to Nanalafu, um who is um, the Prime Minister of Israel. Um, the, that, was a, that, that, has been, that announcement's been played on FreeCR a number of times, so that is going to be happening at 2pm at the State Library of Victoria. Um, next Thursday, there will be a public meeting rethinking socialism for sustainability happening at the Bella Union Bar at Trades Hall, and it's organised by the New International Bookshop.
1: Is it the next Wednesday, you said? Next Thursday. Thursday, okay.
2: Yep, on February 23rd. Um, on Also happening on that night, there will be a public meeting, Stop Deaths in Custody and Hold Police to Account. Um, you know, it will revolve around um, the police institutionalised discrimination towards First Nations people, African youth and other people of colour. Um, and call this public meeting will hear from voices from the frontline, line um, who will focus on sol- the solutions. That will be happening at 6pm at the Solidarity Saloon at 580 Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um, Also happening on that Thursday will be, um, for those who are interested in getting involved in this campaign, there will be an open organising meeting for um, the dignity, Not Debt. um, That will be at 6.30pm at the Shreds Hall. Um, And
1: one other announcement before you move on to the next one. Are you going to talk about the film night?
2: Yes. Yep, okay. So there'll be, um, as Lalita said, there'll be a film night, um, Red Cinema Punks for West Papua. Um, that will be happening at the Resistance Centre, Level Five, 407 Swanson Street, um, and it's presented by Green Left Weekly.
1: It's also going to be introduced by a um, West Papuan community uh, representative, and his name is Urban Bleskadit And you know there will be a group of uh, West Papuans who'll be um, at the movie to, to answer questions or to discuss issues pertaining to West Papua. So it should be an interesting night for those who um, are concerned about our immediate neighbours and the movie sounds like fun. Yeah.
2: Um, so from Monday 27th of February to Sunday, March 5th, there will be some ho- organised actions, um, although I don't have exactly much details on it, but it's against um, the Avalon Arms Trade Fair that will be happening in that particular week um, and that will obviously, that particular action and protest will be happening at Avalon Airport. Um, so, um, there'll be a concert, um, G- or Jermaine sings songs of work and struggle, um, featuring Ezekiel Ox. That will be at 7pm at the Saturday 4th of March at Trades Hall. Um, and there will be a rally to defend and extend public housing at March 8th at 12pm on a Wednesday at the Parliament. Um, also happening on that day, uh, March 8th, because March 8th is International Women's Day. That's and right. There will be a rally in March um, from the Parliament at 5.30pm at Spring Street. Um there will be a book launch um featuring jeff Sparrow's new book um which will be launched by tony birch um no way but this is in search of paul robinson um who was actually a very well quite a well known african um sinner who was also known as a very passionate and radical left wing activist um and there will hopefully be a film a biopic made about him <laughs> I do
1: like movies. Did you mention the um, rally against uh, Netanyahu, uh, Jacob?
2: Yes, I did. Okay, great. Um, now the other rally. There's another big rally. This rally will possibly be very big, um, though more details are still to be met. Announced, yeah. Yeah. So that's um, there'll be a march in March happening on the 25th right. of March at I think that's on a Saturday at 1 p.m. at the State Library. But obviously, the details, there's no speakers announced, but there is good, it's going to be a big sort of march um, against the government. Um, so, yeah.
1: Okay, there's another one, which is Adios um, Adani, a musical protest and fundraiser to help the Wangan and Jagalingo people uh, fund their campaign to stop Adani from accessing their land without permission and help the market forces fund their campaign to stop the Adani mine. It's at 8.30 uh, the bar opens um, and that's 317 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. So those who are wanting to support the traditional people in the um, a proposed coal mine that uh, Adani is going to build, please turn up at the bar on um, the... Where is it? It's the um, Thursday, 23rd of February. Sorry, of the, uh, that's next Thursday. Uh, so it's at 8.30, th- 317 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. And tickets at trybooking.com uh, if you get on to it. Or you can just turn up at the bar. I'm sure it'll be fine. There's some regular meetings that are held, and I, I quite like to announce them because those who haven't heard the announcement before may be interested. There's Australians for Kurdistan, a monthly meeting. Uh, the first Thursday of each month, and if you wish to contact somebody, you can ring Gule on zero four one three nine six nine three six seven zero six or Aaron on zero four one zero one nine seven eight one four and then there's a the climate action Morland, which meets regularly on uh to develop actions on climate change in Moreland area, uh, you can ring Andrea on 0424-508 and 535. And the last one um, is one about West Papua, the Australian West Papua Association. It's a struggle against the Indonesian occupation of West Papua, an uh, interview which we missed today, but we shall definitely catch up. So if you're interested in, in participating or helping, um, this particular association, the number to ring is nine five one zero two one nine three. Now, the um, the they have a, a like a foreign um, office at Docklands, and they have to gather the um, rent for it, and it's a request for people to join up and pay one dollar a day, basically. Um, so it's like thirty bucks a month. Uh, you can have a deductor. They're looking for people to support this office, which is um, not easy to maintain in Docklands. It's staffed, and uh, you can ring them on nine five one zero two one nine three.
3: 2193
2: all right. So we have our next interview on the line that Lali will introduce.
1: Yes. Um, we've had a lot of talk about Adani and uh, the coal mine, and people are interested in the climate um, issues. I'm sure will be interested in this particular interview. Uh, we have Sherry Muddle on the line. She's from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, and she's a committee organizer. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Thank you for uh, thank you so much for being available so early in the morning, all the way from the barrier near the barrier reef. Is that right? Or are you in Brisbane?
4: No, no, I'm based in the heart of the Great Barrier Reef. Yes,
1: and uh, you are a community organizer there. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Okay, tell us more about what's happening um, in your your community and what sort of protests are happening around this um, the horrible. In, in, in inflict, inflict. oh, I can't even find a word to describe. How can you describe one of the seven wonders of the world? I cannot believe it. But do tell us what's happening.
4: Yeah, well, the project was really brought to the community's attention about four years ago when Adani were looking to expand Abbott Point, which is just north of the Whitsunday Islands. Um, and we fought really hard and we ran a really strong campaign to get um, some strong legislation in to ban this um, business-as-usual type practice of dredging the seafloor and then dumping that spoil into the Great Barrier Reef. Um, we did have some pretty remarkable wins with getting those protections in place, uh, largely thanks to the community and people all around the world that care about the reef. But unfortunately, we are still fighting um, this proposed mine, which will be one of the largest new coal mines in the world. And um, by Adani and they're still wanting to dredge uh, at a point and then ship the coal through the Great Barrier Reef to
1: do that mm. And it's really interesting how the government is supporting this proposal by Adani and he has a colourful history by um, any length of measure he's got a litany of tragic events including a giant oil and gas, uh, coal spill that the illegal clearing of protected lands and destruction of habitats uh, around the world. And the, the most appalling is a massive spill of oil and sixty thousand four hundred fifty four metric tons of coal where, when a ship sank 20 miles off the coast of Mumbai in India and Adani did not clean, clean up for five years. So he doesn't have a very sparkling history and yet this government is supporting this man's uh, application. In fact, it's funding and billi- funding it to the tune of $2 billion, is that right, um, Sherry?
4: Yeah, actually, it's um, so Adani has expressed interest in obtaining $1 billion from the Northern Australia Infrastructure Fund, those funds are public money or taxpayers' money and the government is in, very much in support of um, giving Adani that money and, and supporting Adani despite their really dark history. Um, You you mentioned the coal ship that sank, but there is a 40-page document written by environmental lawyers, Environmental Justice Australia, and it's really quite shocking and dark just how how many um, absolute failures that Adani has been involved in. And it stems from, you know, environmental destruction, uh, illegal clearing of mangroves, visiting an airport illegally without any permission, um, right through to, you know... Abusing basic human rights of workers, underpaying workers. Um, there's been deaths in the company, in Ainadani's company in India. So yeah, the list goes on and on, but it's, it's not just environmental degradation. It's also impacted local communities in India. For instance, um, the local fishers and salt farmers have seen their fish stocks depleted. The salt farmers have had their, their salt, um, polluted from the, the coal and the carbon pollution. So, yeah, the list goes on, and it's just a a really grave concern when we're talking about this company operating in a World Heritage Area in the Great Barrier Reef.
1: Mm. And the um, other interesting thing, sorry, the the other question I would ask you was, um, you talked about the dredging of the seafloor, but there are other implications for the Barrier Reef. I mean, given that there's already bleaching of the corals there, um, what are the other implications? If you could explain to our listeners, that will be great.
4: Sure. So if Adani opens this mine, as I mentioned, it'll be the largest coal mine in the world. And we know that um, burning fossil fuels, particularly coal, exacerbates global warming. So last summer, 2016, we saw the worst coral bleaching event Ever to impact the Great Barrier Reef, almost a quarter of the corals on the reef have died, and um, the worst hit were were north um, the far northern reef, which is actually the more pristine parts of the reef. So we're really concerned because of this concern because of this existential threat of if we open this mine and burn this coal, it's going to be a disaster for our climate, it will exacerbate global warming and it's going to lead to more coral bleaching events and it'll also lead to a more acidic ocean. And then, as, as you mentioned, the direct impacts of um, building a railway, using all the groundwater, dredging the seafloor, and then, of course, hundreds more coal ships travelling in and out of the Great Barrier Reef every year.
1: Mm. Sounds absolutely horrible. Now, let's, <laughs> let's look at the um, uh, the political side of things. Are there any political... Uh, parties or uh, significant politicians who are supporting this campaign in Queensland?
4: Look, there are a few. Um, unfortunately, locally all levels of government currently in power support the mine, so from the local council, the state and federal government. Um, the, the Greens are completely against the project for um, all the reasons we've, we've talked about, sure. um, but yeah, unfortunately, majority of government are supporting the mine and they're not supporting the campaign to protect the reef.
1: Mm. What about the, uh, there's one politician who I believe is quite progressive, Rob Pine from Cairns, one of the, our first um, ministers uh, with a disability and he actually travels around in a wheelchair. Is he in support of it, do you know?
4: Yeah, look, Rob Pine's wonderful. I mean, he's from Cairns, and um, the reef is very important to Cairns, um, both environmentally and socially and economically. And so Rob's a great supporter of protecting the reef. He's independent, um, so we're really happy to have his support. But unfortunately, there, there are few and far between politicians that support protecting the reef.
1: Hmm. the complicating factor would be the fact that you've got um, One Nation which which apparently is quite popular in Queensland, how how is that faring?
4: Yeah look, um, apparently I don't know much about this but apparently they are polling quite strongly in Queensland One Nation do support the Adani Carmichael coal mine Mm -hmm. but they do have concerns when it comes to uh, Adani using groundwater because One Nation are in support of farmers mm. so um, a bit of a
1: contradiction for them
4: yeah it is but overall they support the mine and the port and they support coal in fact um i don't know if you saw but pauline hanson came snorkeling on the reef and yeah oh god they, that um, was
1: appalling just yeah, appalling <laughs> they said it's just fine There's nothing whoever organized it needs to be shot
4: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they actually snorkeled i think it was about 1,500 kilometres away from any bleaching. So yeah,
1: that's what I was thinking when I said that. They took her to the cleanest and the, the healthiest part of the reef and left out all the worst ones, yeah. didn't they? Very clever. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: But um, So the political scene doesn't look too positive, but you've got a lot of community activities going on.
4: Yes, yeah. Um, look, like, you know, we haven't won, we haven't had these significant environmental protections because Politicians are doing the right thing. You know, this, the reef is, um, an icon. Millions of people around the world love the Great Bay Reef. Oh, yeah. And it's thanks to, to people power that we can really, um, pressure our leaders and pressure our politicians to create change. And that's, that's where the change is going to happen. So, um, we haven't given up hope, and in fact, it's the only way we've seen change happen and protecting the reef happen. So, oh no,
1: no, you, you can't afford yeah. to give up hope, and I don't think anyone in Australia can. But the one one no. contradiction I find is the the, the 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 National Liberal Party and the um, the National the the National um, what am I the LNP and the uh, farmers surely the farmers would have a big say if the coal mine's going to use up more water. It'll deprive them of irrigation water. Isn't there protest among the farmers?
4: Yeah, look, there are farmers who are very concerned because obviously, like, if they need water for their farms, they have to apply for water licences. So it really is special treatment at the moment for Adani. Um, But, you know, farmers out west are more spread out their land size is quite huge so they're fewer and far between and as I said it's all about power and numbers so mm. quite so important for everybody to get behind the campaign to protect the reef.
1: Okay thank you so much for all the information Sherry it's very kind of you to be available at this time of the early hour for you it's seven it's just after seven isn't it or almost <laughs> an hour behind or earlier than us. So thanks so much, and oh, we will no, keep in touch. Yes, thank you. Thank and you so much. Thank you. Bye.
4: Thanks. Bye.
1: All right. So. Okay, we are coming to the end of the program. Let's thank um, Sherry Muddle from the um, Australian Marine Conserv- Conservation Society mm. from the Barrier Reef itself and uh Damien Stock from the Victorian Legal Service who we interviewed in relation to the criminalization of um, toll debts and, um, any more announcements before we, um. Oh, we talk still have a, we still have
2: a bit of time left. we will probably have four Eight to minutes. five minutes. Four to five minutes. Or more like four to six. Five minutes, yeah. Go on. Um, so.
1: We, did we talk about, sorry to interrupt you there, um, Jacob, but did we talk about the subscription drive 3CR is having? A drive to recruit more subscribers to this independent media, which is vital in these days when you've got such huge conglomerates owning the media and giving you very biased news. So 3CR can only survive by um, getting donations and having subscribers. Um, and the subscriptions are, are very um, modest. Uh, if you're on a concession, it's $35 for a year. And if your wage is seventy dollars and hundred and thirty dollars solidarity. So you can buy yourself a piece of independent media. You can show your support. So if you want to subscribe, you can ring nine four one nine eight three double seven. And ask to subscribe, and you can pay over the phone, or you can come to um, Smith Street and pop into the office. Yep. Um, and um, there's, also know, visit the
2: us. there's also the There's also the internet online. Yes. Yep. And one thing that you do get when you subscribe, you get a nice card. So <laughs> I invite some <laughs> people.
1: You also get a news. You know, one the annual um, the report you get, which is nice, and also you can um, nominate to be on management committees and so on. Actually, that that's happening right now. So if you can join up, you're always welcome to nominate and be part of the runnings of 3CR, which is really important because it's it's controlled by the community and that's a vital part of how we run the station. And we have (coughs) so much alternative news that um, is not available in the mainstream media. And we we um, you know, summarize a lot of the stuff so that it's easier for you to get a handle on a bundle of news um, as opposed to reading through the internet and especially in the days of fake news these days. Mm-hmm. We try and bet that as well. <laughs> so, well, uh, please do subscribe. And if you have friends um, who are not subscribers, it would be great if you ask them because it's always much nicer if you put a personal touch to it. So please um, increase our, the sub for this uh, wonderful independent radio. Yep. and um, so we uh, have probably 2 minutes
2: left um, just to co- um just to I won't be able to talk about this article in detail but there is this article on the, the um, in light of you know what's happening you know with the Adani coal mine in Australia, there's a very similar kind of big struggle happening in the United States over the Dakota pipeline. Dakota pipeline, yes. um, It is uh, the the fight isn't over, and of course under you know Shru- Donald Trump, he just four days into his presen- um, presidency, he is practically guaranteed a pro-expended approval for the Dakota Pipeline as well as the Keystone LXL Pipeline which was actually dropped by the Obama gun but he aims to reverse a lot of all that.
1: Yes, he's already signed the executive order, that's a problem.
2: And um, so we um, stay tuned for more stories from Left Weekly Radio and other programs on how this struggle will unfold.
1: But before we leave let's remind um, listeners about the protests tomorrow. There are two protests. One is at 2 o'clock at the State Library and that is a big refugees support rally. There's another one at 8 p.m. With the homeless people, yes?
2: Yes, for the, um, against the criminalization uh, and the new laws. Specifically
1: against the criminalization of, of um, homelessness, really. Anyway, thank you for listening. And as we said, the program's available on podcast and it is on the web.
0: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800- 634206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au